and we are going to cruise along. We've got a lot to cover, and I'm very excited. Well, we are on a second week of a series called Me 2.0. Uh, if, you've, <clears throat> if you've been walking with God for very long, your, your walk began by realizing that Me 1.0, the first version, was messed up. We needed a new version and some of us maybe tried a lot of self-help stuff and tried to figure it out on our own and finally realized that we needed a Savior. We need God to come in and begin to shift things on the inside of us. And so we receive Christ. And when we do that, then it's not just this little prayer and going through this little religious ritual. There is a spiritual new birth that takes place. And we literally are a new creation. And we are studying about what that means. What me 2.0 looks like. How this is going to flesh out and work in our lives. So as we embrace the new creation that God has brought to life on the inside of us. This new heart becomes the launching pad for real transformation. It's as we really give ourselves to this and recognize that God has changed us fundamentally on the inside of us, then it, it totally shifts our outlook and, and how we interact. And uh, this thing of having a new creation alive on the inside of us is, is so mirrored with the process of pregnancy. Of course, I've never been pregnant lived 36 years and I've never been pregnant but I've lived with a pregnant wife five times so I've learned a few things al along the way she says I've learned nothing but anyways when when cutie was pregnant with our uh, with our youngest with Carson um, anyways you, you you go through from what I've observed this is not personal not live this out myself but the first little bit's difficult. You got the morning sickness, you've got all of that. And then the end is difficult because you got the whole delivery thing and you, and you get bigger than you want to be and, and awkward and whatnot. But there's this middle season that just, I'm telling you, it's just like this endowment of energy. And it is just so cool to watch. Well, with Carson, Cutie was in that phase where there was this just this endowment with energy and she was just she was just ready she was cleaning and just working and all this and and uh at one point she tells me that she feels like she's invincible like she can't be knocked down and there's just this thing you this these women just they just do that they just feel strong there's this life there's this growing there's this special energy and grace from god to walk that that part out and they're doing the whole nesting thing and i'm telling you it just changed her her image, and she's sharing this thing with me that she just she just feels invincible. Let me know what this thing is going on, on the inside. Well, I wasn't the smartest husband at the time, and I, and so and she said she felt invincible and felt like you know she just couldn't be knocked down. And I said, I said, no, dear, you, you mean you feel like a weeble wobble? Because she was a little too. She was pregnant. She uh, anyway, she did. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. And so she did not see the humor in my joke. In fact, the, my journal entry for that day lets me know that uh, that was not a smart move to have said. That I, 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 went, I went to sleep with my wife angry at me that day. But she was just sharing that that new life had created something else. That, and when God creates this new life 
on the inside of us, it shifts us where we can get this sense that there is something different. When we have an experience with God, we ought to sense that there is something different on the inside of ourselves and begin to walk in that direction and begin to feed that new life. And when, that's the, when we do that, the, our heart is where that begins to shift first. See, I didn't know what was going on on the inside of her. I didn't know how she was feeling and how all that, but it was on the inside and she begins to share that thing with me. And it shifted on the inside. It, her, the heart shifted and brought it out. See, Ezekiel eleven nineteen says, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. See, our problem was is that without God, things weren't sticking, things weren't working. We weren't really being able to shape it because, because we had this heart of stone. And when we come to Christ, then God shifts that and takes that heart of stone out of us and gives us this heart of flesh, this heart that really works like it's supposed to. I love what it says there in Psalms 119, verse 32. It says, I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. See, is there, <clears throat> there's this thing within us that says that we need to be walking with God, that there are things that are good that God has commanded us to do. Uh, the Jewish mindset, when they looked at the law, they didn't look at something that was this, this binding, hard, difficult thing. They actually recognized it as the path to life or the path to blessing. If you will do this, then your life is going to be blessed. You walk over here and you're gonna, your life is going to be cursed. It's going to be hurt. But you walk in this and your life is going to be blessed. And as we do that, as we walk in that, <clears throat> then and we embrace the new heart, then our hearts are set free. And now we can just run in the blessing that God has given us and follow his commands, not out of this tethered, obligated heart, but run with a free heart. See, when we're living that freedom that Christ has given us in that, that me 2.0 life, then at that point, then Christ has set us free. There's no longer the weight of sin and bondage in our lives. Now we can live and run free. We can run in the path of his commands because you have set my heart free. While we were traveling and going around from state to state, of course, we were in a motorhome. And while we were in this motorhome, you stay in RV parks. And these RV parks are, are beautiful and have all these trees and um, just all over the place at every RV park, there are squirrels. And uh, Hawker, our uh, little black dog, when we're, where we had lived before, there were no squirrels. Well, there weren't any trees. So there weren't any squirrels. So he wasn't used to that. Well, for some reason, while we were out, it came alive in him that he was somehow wired to chase squirrels. That him and squirrels, where they were just like mortal enemies or something, that dog was such a wonderfully obedient dog to me. That dog was, I mean, just, he, he would just obey me so good. But man, he sees a squirrel. He is, he is just absolutely gone. And there'd be, <clears throat> most of the time I would have him on a leash because I was just, we were out in other states. I didn't want to turn him loose. And so, and we would go and I would finally saw how much he enjoyed this. So I would just foolishly, 
be out there running with my dog as he chased these squirrels, just letting him enjoy what he was wired to do because I didn't want him to get away. I was concerned he was just going to be lost in the woods. And so and as I would give him that freedom to pursue, man, he just absolutely loved it. It actually endeared that little dog more to me. And he, we bonded on a whole new level. And my kids would watch out the windows and they're just laughing at him. Dad, you were chasing squirrels. With No, the dog was chasing squirrels. I was not chasing squirrels. The dog was chasing squirrels. I was simply running with the dog and letting the, letting the dog have a good time. Letting him be himself. See, God has, has set us free from the curse of the law so that we can freely run in the paths of his commands. So many times when we try to do it in ourselves, it feels like this leash that chokes the life out of us. That's why the, the New Testament lets us know that the law kills. It chokes. The letter of the law does, but the spirit gives life. Now, does that spirit then nullify the law that these things that are wise and smart to do that the law had outlined? No. But the spirit of life gives us the ability to walk in those in freedom and to live the blessing they were designed to give without the choking that that can bring into our lives. God has set us free. Matthew 5, 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I love the way the message translation reads, and we covered this back a few months ago, and, uh, but I, I just love the way this reads. It says, Bless, You're blessed when you get your inside world your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. See, the, the, <clears throat> the Bible says that the gospel, which the gospel is God's work in this world. It's the good news that salvation has come, that we have a, the new life on the inside of us, that we can be transformed by, by God's power and not by our power. That's the, the power of God unto salvation, the, the gospel. And the Bible tells us that the gospel is foolishness to those that are perishing, those that are outside that haven't had that endowment of life. It makes no sense. It's foolish. There are people who think it's foolish that you got up today and made your way to church whenever you could have been sleeping in on a nice cool morning. They don't understand but when we get shifted on the inside, whenever God's life comes in, all of a sudden things begin to fall in place and it begins to make sense how God has called us to live. It's not foolishness anymore. When we get our, our, the inside, our hearts right, when we live in that me 2.0 <clears throat> position right, then we can see God working in our lives. We begin to see what He is doing and begin to walk in His direction. And begin to cooperate with what he's already wanting to do in our lives. It changes absolutely everything. Now there are, there's the, the old self and there's the new self. And we have to choose to feed and to walk in the new life that God has given. And we never quit being choosers. Every day, every day, Deuteronomy 30, 19 is true. I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life. Choose life. That is a, so we walk in that every day, and we have to choose that every day. And so I don't know about you, but I want to know which heart I'm being led by. 
And when we look at that, when we want to know which heart, the old or the new, that we are living from, it's about a couple of key things. The words, the first one is the words we speak. Our dialect, the words that are coming out of our mouths, the way our speech is, is, is created reflects what's happening on the inside of us. The uh, guy that uh, initially raised me up in ministry, his name is John Holler, and uh, he uh, tell a story about this dog that he had back in Oklahoma years and years ago. And he had this little pup and got this little pup and stuck this little pup in the doghouse. And they had this little pup was living in the doghouse. And pretty soon this pup grew up and started to, to do what dogs do. And it would start to bark and to howl. Well, they would listen to this little dog and this little dog would begin to bark and it would be roo, roo, roo. What is wrong with this dog? This, this dog is messed up. This isn't a regular bark. And it would sit there and when the, bark, when the dog would go to bark, it would roo, roo, roo. What kind of messed up pup did they end up with? Well, the problem was, is the dog house was right under the chicken coop. And there was a rooster that lived there. That dog was not around other dogs. It knew it was supposed to say something, but it didn't know. So it starts tr trying to crow like the rooster. It undoing what it was wired and naturally designed to do. We need to be, our mouths will let us know what it is that is influencing us. We need to pay attention to the words that are coming out of our mouths. Matthew 12, 34 through 37 says, You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings forth good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings forth evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give account of the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted and by your words, you will be condemned. Our words reflect what's happening in our hearts. They reflect what's going on. And you want to kind of get a checkup. You, we have the, all have these little idiot lights in our cars that lets us know if something's going on or not. And, and smart people pay attention to those things and, and, and listen to those things. And if something pops up, well, one of those indicators in our life is our words and is our mouth. And a lot of times, we don't catch it. We'll begin to go a certain direction because it's a welling up on the inside of us. That's why we have to surround ourselves with people who are there who love us enough to say, Hey, man, why are you being so, why are you being so negative? How come you're talking against what God is, is, says for your life instead of what God is saying about your life? See, what we ought to be saying, the kind of stuff about our life should be about the promises that God has. Instead of talking about how, you know, the H1N1 is going to get us or this or that, we ought to be talking about how, how in Christ that we are healed, that by his stripes we're healed. We ought to be talking instead of, oh, man, this recession is on and we're going to be losing this or doing that. No, we have to walk in wisdom, but we ought to talk about the fact that God, if God is for us, who can be against us? 
we ought to be talking all of these different things. And if everything is coming out that it's contrary to what God has laid out in his word, then we need that reflects which heart we're living out of. And we need to just kind of check it and say, what's going on on the inside of me? Where is, the, where is this coming from? And we need to have good people around us who will say, hey, listen. That's why we're really encouraging people with our, with our men's group and our women's groups to, to hook up into groups of three, no more than four. Of people that get together at their convenience once a week. No specific set. You don't have to meet at this one time, but a, a regular time every week. And begin to just study the scriptures together and begin to pray together. And then you begin to learn one another and say, Hey, man, you know, you're, I'm seeing you kind of pull off on this, or I really want to encourage you on this. And these things keep us in check to make sure we live in the, in the Me 2.0 version. Another thing that is reflective of the way that we, <clears throat> of the way that we uh, are living is the way we use our resources. That's our, that's our time, our money, any of those things that are valuable to us. See, Matthew 6, 21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The FBI, they totally understand this. And anytime they begin to try to profile an individual or, or look and be, really get into the mind of somebody, man, they want their bank records. They want to track their spending and what they're doing with their resources, because that paints a picture of who you are. Things are going to be, when we look at you, yours, yours is going to paint a picture of who you are, and mine paints a picture of me. I'm not a musician, so you're not going to find stuff that has to do with, with buying instruments or, or lessons or any of that kind of stuff whenever you look at mine. So you, don't, you look at mine and you realize Brandon Clark is not a musician. You follow somebody else who is a musician and you see they've, you know, they've spent way more money with musicians' friend than they did on rent. Well, wow, this person is passionate about music. You know? And so in the, the same thing with whatever the hobbies may be, whatever the passions may be, it begins to show a picture of who you are. And when we examine the use of our resources, then it will reflect what heart we're living out of. Like I mentioned earlier, God is a giver and he so loved that he gave. If we are walking in this place of discipleship and obedience to God, then that's going to be reflected in our lives. And if we can go back through our bank statements and we can go back and kind of track the cash that came out and wasn't making a difference in other people's lives, it wasn't Make funding the gospel and pushing that forward. It wasn't destroying the works of the devil like, like poverty and, and, and <clears throat> need and all of those different things. If it wasn't doing that, well, then we need to say, man, what heart am I living by? Because over and over again, when we look at the New Testament, Jesus was moved by compassion and then did something. He fed people. He healed people. He met needs. See, our resources and how we use them will begin to paint a picture of how we're living in the new life or whether we're not. I shared this story before, but it is just one of the, the, the best 
the best pictures that I, that I have personally lived out. And years ago, we were remodeling a house here, and Keenan was Keenan was real little. He was like six or seven years old, and, and uh, I know, he's probably younger than that. And uh, anyways, we had gone to the hardware store, and uh, to a local hardware store in town, and and uh, began to go through. Well, that particular Saturday, we didn't know it. They were making a push to get people there. And they were giving away some, some things. They were giving away some Cokes and some hot dogs and stuff. So we come in, and they offer Keenan a, a Coke, and he takes a Sprite. And he first looks at me and asks for permission. I was like, yeah, you can have that. And he just is enjoying that. We walk a few more steps, and pretty soon there's somebody giving away hot dogs there. And they're like, would you like a hot dog? And he looks at me, and I nod that he can take it, and he takes the hot dog. We begin to just walk around the store, and I'm looking for the stuff I need. And he just keeps muttering to himself, they gave me a Coke and a hot dog. And he repeats it about three times. And I just keep, I'm staying focused on this, and I just keep saying, yeah, yeah, Keenan, they did. And then finally he pipes up and says, they gave me a Coke and a hot dog. They must love Jesus. You're like, man, out of the mouths of children. They recognize God's giving nature in just that simple act of meeting a temporal need in him. That kid has gone on to eat many more hot dogs in his life. And he will eat many more. He's drank a lot of soda in that kid's life. And he will drink a lot more. But that soda and that hot dog given to him at that unexpected time spoke the love of God to him. Uh, what we do with our resources reflects it. Now, I'm not saying be crazy and give all your money away, but I'm saying if we're not using, if you're not using your resources to fund the gospel and to bless other people's lives, then we really have to check and see what heart are we living in. This is part of who we are as believers. See, Luke 12, 29 says, Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. See, when we set our heart on all of these things that we have in our, in our lives that we have need for, that's when things get out of whack. Are we supposed to be good stewards? Yes. Are we supposed to be diligent about those things? Absolutely. But when we begin to set our heart on those things, man, it messes everything up. The next thing that we see is the passion with which we live. How passionate we live our lives is going to determine whether or not we're living in the, the, the 2.0 level or the 1.0 level. See, Colossians 3, 23 through 24 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Whatever you do, Whatever you do, you ought to see every waking minute of your life serving God. I don't know if you've read the book, but uh, the uh, have the uh, brother Lawrence who wrote the the book uh, practice the practice of the presence of God all those years ago, and all he did his whole time as a minister he was stayed assigned to the kitchen. He stayed assigned to chopping vegetables and making stews his entire ministry career. But yet he influenced popes. 
He influenced so many different people. Why? Because he learned how to just commune with God and serve God in slicing those carrots and doing those things. He did it so passionately and unto the Lord and stayed in this place where he could just worship and pray continually. And it, his entire life became a gift to God, even in making stew every day for people. Even in that. See, our lives should be, our passion with which we live it is so incredibly important. I'm reading a book right now, and it's just incredibly stirring on this guy that just lived full out for God and is still doing incredible stuff today. And he references the story of Eric Little of the famed movie Chariots of Fire, and uh, which is based on his life. And, of course, he was... Uh, Initially, he was born on the mission field, born on the mission field in China. And he was a Scotsman and ended up uh, being educated back in Scotland and did all of these different things. Well, one of the things that he, he was, had an incredible compassion and a desire to serve God, but he also was incredibly fast. He was just quick. He could just run. And he actually hits this point where he is giving himself over and really pursuing the, his, his running career and becomes an Olympic athlete. And his sister, who they're in a missionary family, she begins to give him a little bit of a hard time on why he's sloughing off his, his calling and his assignment to the mission field to do this running thing. And he gives her this awesome, this awesome quote. He tells her, I believe that God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run... I feel his pleasure. God has wired you for so much. And when you live in those things and you do it completely unto him, then, man, you can feel God's pleasure. I know people who, that they're business people. And they do it diligently and unto the Lord. And they're, and they're givers and, and they're just so committed. And they can sense God's pleasure when they're doing those things right. There are people who have other hobbies and do things and they're just gifted in that way. And when they do it as unto the Lord, then they can sense God's pleasure. We, our passion for God ought to influence every area of our lives. We shouldn't just show up to church. Showing up to church is a wonderful thing. But we ought to be connected with God on every front of our lives and pursuing Him so intently on every front. It is so important. John Wesley, the famous preacher, said, Catch on fire with enthusiasm and people will come for miles away to watch you burn. Get excited about what God has called you to do and it's going to draw people in God has wired us to live in the new the me 2.0 level and we need to check our words on a regular basis how we're talking are we talking things that line up with God's word are we talking faith or is it a bunch of doubt and unbelief a bunch of whining we could be real with God we're reading through the Psalms right now man David is so real but you he always comes back he always comes back to this place, but you, God, but you. It is always this place of faith. Yeah, we can pour out our complaints to him, 
but we shouldn't just go around with complaints on our lips all the time. We've got to utilize our resources. We've got to live a life full of passion and full out for God. See, as God is changing us from the inside out, our new heart will help us to see in a new way. This new heart comes in, and it's like a fog lifts. As we really begin to walk in that part, it's like a fog lifts, and things we couldn't see and couldn't understand, we knew they were there, but you just flat couldn't see them. Then it just begins to lift, and we can see clearly and run the race that is before us. Ephesians 1, 18 through 19 says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That is the me 2.0 level. It's not our power It's His incomparably great power. That means we can't really wrap our minds around it. We can grow in an understanding of it, but we're not ever going to fully connect and understand it this side of heaven. But that power is still work on our behalves. And it's alive on the inside of us. That's the difference between the renewed life and just the old guy trying to do the the things the new guy ought to be doing. It's the Spirit of God alive on the inside of us, doing it. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Man, it just becomes so easy for us to do. When we're a new creation, we're going to look a little different than the rest of the world that's not living for God. Does that mean we dress funny? No, you dress stylish and dress however you want to. But our lives are going to reflect our relationship with God. Our our pursuit of God is they're going to look different. We don't just fit in without even thinking. Instead, we fix our attention on God. And we'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from us and be quick to respond to it. Unlike the culture around you who's always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of us. God brings the best out of us. Me 2.0 is about God bringing the best out of us. It's saying, God, I need you alive in me to work this out. God, you bring that best out of me. And it develops well-formed maturity. In us. First Timothy 1, 5-6 says, The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. We hit this scripture last week and that if our relationship with God doesn't affect the bottom line of, of the way our life hits the ground and shifts and moves, then all our stuff is is meaningless talk does that mean that we're perfect today no but that does mean that we stay yielded to god when eric little died way way too young age of 45 years old his last words were it's total surrender and ultimately in living the me 2.0 life That's what it is. 
It's total surrender. It's giving our lives to Him and allowing God to manifest and live through us. This me 2.0 version has an operating system of love. And it's powered by the processor of a new heart. It's shifted by God giving us a new heart. Now this morning, if uh, the only way you can even remotely begin to walk in this is you have to have that new life come in. And that only comes from allowing and receiving what Christ has done of placing your faith in the completed work 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 faith in the completed 